podcast where we talk about major touchstones in pop culture and explain them to you so that you can talk about them with other people. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. I'm Tana. And today we are going to be talking about Stranger Things Season 1. Stranger Things came out last year, 2016, and it has been just wildly successful. It's a Netflix original show, if you didn't know. Um, So, I mean, it's only been out for a year, so we're all, you know, it's fairly new to all of us, but... How did you guys get into Stranger Things? Did you watch it like as soon as it came out? Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) My brother told me to watch it. I'm surprised that I didn't hear about it beforehand because I feel like Netflix stuff now, they do a better job of like making you anticipate the new thing that's coming out. Yeah, agreed. But when you just look at like the way that they've marketed this next season of Stranger Things, Mm -hmm. which by the way, coming out October 28th. has billboards everywhere. (laughs) I'm really excited about it. I know. I see it like on my way to work. I see it on the sides of buses. It's crazy. But anyway, how about you, Tana? Uh, So mine, it was the same for me. I didn't see like a lot of beforehand about it, but I had a friend who watched it like when it came out and uh, they like, we're like you have to watch it it's like it's like the goonies meets alien and i was just like from that moment i was like okay we'll watch yeah. and like yeah. that weekend watched all of it <laughs> yeah and i think for me like i resisted at first because like it, so tana and i worked together shannon and i used to work together shannon and tana used to work together <laughs> anyway but tana and i currently work together so i went into the office and everybody was talking about it the weekend oh, yeah. after and but it was all like it was all these people who I knew were really into horror. Uh-huh. And I was just like, oh, no, I'm not into scary things. That might not be for me. But then I think scary. I think it was when you started recommending it that I was like, okay, that, no, that actually does sound Ooh. interesting. So that's when I watched it. <laughs> but yeah, so Stranger Things. Um, so we're going to kick this episode off with just talking about plot summary. Stranger Things Season 1 is only eight episodes long. Um, it's like six and a half hours, my yeah. coworker said. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can binge it now yep. and be ready for season two. Absolutely. Um, and honestly, you should. But I guess we're going to get into that at the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you've already seen it and need a recap, yes, <laughs> exactly. remember what you watched. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to do a quick recap of season one. Um, and then we're going to go into 80s references, influences, etc. on the show itself. Um so yeah, let's take it away, Shannon. All right, um, we're gonna do the first three chapters and try to get through this quickly. <laughs> um, so the whole show is set in Hawkins, Indiana, 1983. Um, show opens in kind of a spooky laboratory. A guy's running down the hallway, gets into an elevator, and is in kind of a panic. And you hear something growling, and he's pulled up and uh, into the abyss. I guess. So. <laughs> anyway, quite the start when I just said it wasn't scary, but it has its moments. Um, anyway, the show primarily focuses on this group of 12 year old boys. Um, there's Michael, Will, Dustin, and Lucas. Um, they're all playing Dungeons and Dragons when it opens, and I play Dungeons and Dragons, so I want to <laughs> talk about that a little bit later. But anyway, um, they're trying to defeat a monster called the Demogorgon. Um, and they kind of get stopped because their mom's like, you've been playing this for hours, you guys need to go home, it's late. Um, so Will and Dustin both race off on their bikes, Will pulls ahead, um, but he crashes kind of near that spooky laboratory that we saw earlier. And he can hear something chasing him, so he runs back to his house, um, and still kind of hearing strange sounds, he goes into his shed, um, and this is, 
I mean, we'll talk about influences again, but kind of reminiscent of E.T. a little mm-hmm. bit of when we first see him. But he goes in, uh, he kind of grabs, like, I'm assuming the BB gun or something to attack this thing. Um, the lights are kind of flickering. He hears a growl, and then the next thing we see, just an empty shed. Will is gone. Um, so the rest of the series is basically trying to figure out what has happened to Will. Um, his, so we see his mom, Joyce, his brother, Jonathan, um, in the morning, they can't find him. Uh, they didn't see him come back that night before. And so they're really worried about what happened to him. Uh, Joyce is played by, uh, Winona Ryder, who's just amazing. Um, so she goes off to the local police chief, um, Hopper, who is at the start maybe a little bit curmudgeonly and is kind of like, we live in Hawkins, nothing happens. I'm sure that he just like went off to his dad. Uh, Will's dad and mom are divorced. And so they're like, he probably just ran off with Lonnie and you know we'll find him and it'll be fine. Um, so Hopper kind of writes off this situation to start with. Um, then we switch over to um, a girl with a shaved head. <laughs> I don't know how else to leap into, segue into this part, but um, she's a shaved head in a hospital gown, and she also seems like she's trying to, kind of in a panic, trying to escape, and she is at Benny's Diner, so this little diner in the town. Um, she's like hungry and grabs fries and is trying to chow, and chow down on him, and the owner, Benny, finds her and then is trying to like grab her for stealing food but then realizes like there's something wrong with this girl like she's not talking to me kind of seems like she's been in an abusive situation or something um so in trying to get this little girl to talk um she has a tattoo on her arm that says 11 she says that's my name 11 Um, but she doesn't say a whole lot um, we know that something strange is happening, though, because um, she's eating her food and there's a fan that's kind of, um, like, crackling, and she stops it with her mind. She just looks at it and it stops. Um, so anyway, Benny calls social services, not knowing what else to do with this girl, and um, the woman who shows up uh, kills Benny, and there's these agents that are going to capture Eleven, um, but she gets away. Um, so strange things. <laughs> Stranger things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then, so the town now, um, having gone to Will's father and whatnot, they still haven't found him, so everyone's searching for Will. Um, his friends are all frustrated that no one's found him yet, and so they kind of set off uh, to find him on their own. Um, oh, and I put <laughs> BT dubs. <laughs> Mike has a sister, Nancy, and it's important to note that she has a secret romance going on with like the popular kid in school, Steve Harrington, who has amazing hair. I wrote that down. <laughs> and looks almost exactly like Ben Schwartz. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's happening in the background of all of this. Um, so boys have set off to find Will in the rain. They stumble into Eleven. Um, in the meantime, Joyce is still really worried about what's happened to her son. She gets a really weird call at her house where she thinks she hears Will's breathing in the background. Um, and she starts screaming like, is that Will? Where are you? Can I help you? And there's like a shot of electricity that burns the phone. Um, so that's the first part. <laughs> and then um, going on, so the boys have run into Eleven in the rain and they all take her back to Mike's house. Um, 
they weren't supposed to be out looking for Will, and so they don't just want to go straight to the mom. But he's like, we can probably sneak you out and have you come to the door, and my mom can help us out. My mom says no. Like, and I mean, in so many words, like, she doesn't speak a lot, but we can tell that, like, every time adults get into the mix, something bad happens. She says these bad people are after her. Um, Eleven sees a picture of Will in Mike's house and recognizes him. And kind of using their D&D set, she describes that um, Will's hiding from the Demogorgon or some sort of monster, she points out. And they kind of flip the board over and she describes that he's in this place that's like the upside down is what they call it. So kind of the opposite of the world that they're in. Um, let's see. Also with Eleven, like they're kind of hiding her from the mom while the boys are in school. Um, but at one point they hide her in a closet and we get this flashback of her um, like being dragged into a dark room at the laboratory and so she's been just this kind of um, lab rat. They've been doing these experiments on her. Um, let's see. And then um, again Lucas says like we should go to the mom like if bad people are after her they can help. And in an attempt to stop them, Eleven shuts the door of this room to her with her mind. <laughs> and um, so now the boys know that she has these superpowers. Um, let's see, Joyce gets a new phone, but gets another strange call that also burns up that phone. Um, and this time with the call, um, she, in her house, the walls kind of, it's hard to describe, but it's like someone is... How do you say it? Like trying to get in through the wall. So the wall is like stretched out like this person that's trying to get into their house or this being. Um, and then side story once again with Nancy. Um, Nancy uh, goes over to Steve's house. They have this pool party and she's really infatuated with him. She makes her dear friend Barb come with her um, to the party. And while she kind of goes off to do things with Steve, <laughs> um, Barb is sitting at the pool and she's frustrated that Nancy is like off with this guy that is, they're not really the popular type. Um, and she gets taken away by something. Um, that's all I got. I guess at that point too, Will's brother Jonathan is like taking pictures at the house. So he kind of sees this all going down. Um, and then, so Barb, the next part, um, oh, to Barb, like in this weird place, which we're, we assume is the upside down. It looks kind of just like Steve's house and a pool and whatnot, but there's, it's a little bit off. Um, she's trying to get out, but she can't because of the monster that has her in its clutches. Um, and then going back to the boys in 11. So she, um, they're gonna meet 11 after school and, um, Eleven's kind of lounging around the house <laughs> in the meantime, looks at the TV and we get another flashback of the um, scientists at this lab trying to make her manipulate things and she ends up killing two men that try to drag her back to the room. So we know she's pretty powerful. Um, Hopper is kind of suspecting the lab of maybe being involved with Will's disappearance a little bit, finds out that Brenner, this guy that we always see in the flashbacks with Eleven, um, was accused of kidnapping someone's child. Um, going back to Joyce, um, because she's been able to communicate with Will a little bit through the phone, um, she somehow finds out that Will is kind of controlling or something's controlling the lights in her. There's lights everywhere. 
um, to communicate with him. And she like asks questions, and the lights go off and whatnot. So if you've seen the Christmas lights everywhere, that's mm-hmm. kind of the tie-in. Um, Eleven. So the boys meet up with Eleven who says, oh, I'm going to take you to where Will is, and they go to Will's house. And she says he's hiding there, even though no one's seen Will. Um, And then some sirens, they hear some sirens. All the boys follow the sirens to the quarry where they, um, the cops have found Will's body and are pulling it out of the water. And Nancy's upset (laughs) because Nancy's always the side story. Um, (laughs) She can't find Barb, so she's upset. That's kind of where I've left off. <laughs> yeah, so that uh, chapter four, uh, it's called The Body, which, fun fact, The Body is actually the novella that Stephen King wrote that was later turned into Stand By Me. Um, <laughs> but so it opens with um, L11 knows that Will is not dead. Um, the boys don't believe her, but she convinces Mike uh, by she uses his walkie talkie to kind of talk to. Um, like tap into the alternate dimension that, that Will is in right now uh, and she manages to like they, they get some of his voice coming through he's singing a song that his brother had him listen to uh, mm-hmm. so um, Mike tells the other boys like this, she, she's, connect, she's like made contact with him we need to like we need to get her to reach him again and she can't reach him on the radio so the boys decide to take her to school to use their new AV club radio, which has a much like larger range. So it's in order to take her to school, um, they give her a makeover. Um, they put like a little blonde wig on her, a la ET. Um, and she's got a little dress now and stuff, and they take her in. Uh, she does manage to contact him, but the energy like explodes the radio. But all the boys now believe that Will is alive. Like they believe, like they've heard him and that they know he's somewhere. They just don't know how to get to him. Um, Joyce, meanwhile, is taken into the morgue to identify Will's body. She does not believe that it's Will. She is like, this is not my son. I don't know what that thing is, but I'm not signing any papers. Like, that's not my boy. Um, she goes home and she hears Will, like, in the walls. And so she tears back the wallpaper and sees this kind of, like, membrane like, hard membrane thing. And she sees him on the other side of it. And so she grabs an axe and tries to, like, get into the wall. And uh, she just ends up, like hacking through to the outside of her house. She can't break through the membrane. Um, so meanwhile, Hopper has gone to the morgue and discovers that also discovers that Will's body is a fake. And this is my thing. Joyce is right. Through this whole movie, everybody tells Joyce she is wrong. Or through the whole series, they, everybody tells Joyce she's wrong. She is not wrong. Mm-hmm. And I hope that season two is a lot of people <laughs> telling Joyce that she is right and they're sorry. Um, she, to be fair, though, like, she took an axe to the side of her house. <laughs> and, like, there's a hole in the side of the house. There's Christmas lights everywhere. I know everywhere. how it looks. Yeah. And, I know. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if we said this already, but, like, mm-hmm. she's strung up these Christmas lights with, like, an alphabet that she's painted yeah. on the wall. Yeah. And, yeah, people come in, they're just like, what the... Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, Hopper discovers that Joyce was right all along, <laughs> that um, Will's body is kind of like a plasticky filled with cotton. It's not real. Um, so it was a, a state trooper that actually found him and brought him in. So Hopper goes to a bar and gets the guy drunk and um, takes him outside and starts beating him up. To, and he kind of coerces out of him that it was a it was a cover up that he was kind of pushed into it, uh, and the guy says like drop it you're gonna get both of us killed. Um, a car pulls out of the lot and Hopper's like what? Uh, so he tracks it back to like Hawkins lab. Um, while all of this is happening, Nancy and Jonathan notice a faceless picture in the pic- in the or a faceless figure in the picture that Jonathan took of Barb the night that Barb disappeared. Um, the one that had. Uh, so when it was discovered that Jonathan had 
Ben taking pictures. Steve tore it up and knocked his camera out of his hand and stuff. Um, and Nancy picked up all the pictures, and as she's putting them back together, she sees this figure um, that is like kind of lurking in the back behind Barb. Um, so Nancy ends up telling her mom about what happened. They go to the, they go to the police, and Steve is a whiny baby. Uh, he's basically, when, when he finds out that she's told the police and told adults about it, he's upset because he thinks that he's going to get in trouble for having friends and alcohol over at his house while his parents were gone. Um, so, great guy. He's a very good guy. Uh, chapter 5 is called The Flea and the Acrobat. Um, it opens with Lonnie, which is Will and uh, Jonathan's dad, showing up, uh, trying to convince Joyce that she is losing it and that she just, like, needs to just, like, pull it together and get some help and they just need to get through the funeral and everything's going to be fine. Um, Jonathan disagrees. He believes his mom because he's now seen this faceless creature in the... Um, photograph or whatever and his mom has been describing like this faceless kind of being that she's seen um so he kind of butts heads with his dad and and his dad's like you're just feeding into her her issues like you need to leave her alone everybody goes to the funeral while they're there jonathan steals his dad's gun from the glove box and the boys talk to their science teacher mr clark um about alternate dimensions the way the, the name of the episode comes from mr clark's explanation that um, humans travel like an acrobat on a tightrope. Um, they can go like a single, they, they travel a single dimension. They are on the top of the tightrope and can go that way. Whereas a flea can go all the way around the tightrope, all, all the different parts of it. Um, and the boys are like, well, how could we become the flea? Like we're the, we're the, we're the acrobat. How could we be the flea? Um, and he tells them that like, if you wanted to open a portal to like another dimension, that it would require a lot of, um, like energy to tear open the space time continuum. Um, and so the boys are like, they're, they decide to think on it. Um, meanwhile, uh, Hopper, uh, goes to the lab. Um, he, like the, the Hawkins laboratory, he breaks into it. He sees a kid's bedroom while he's in there, a picture of Eleven, that Eleven has drawn on the wall of her and her papa. Um, he also sees this like weird organic gateway, uh, the portal that we've seen in earlier episodes uh, and the thing runs past him in the back and he gets knocked out um wakes up at home and finds out that the room that like he tears his room apart and he finds out that it's been bugged so he has like a, he finds a little microphone a little wire in it or whatever um we pick up back with joyce she discovers that uh lonnie had actually not come back because he gave a crap about his son but rather that he wanted the insurance money that they thought that he thought that they could get from Will's body. Um, so she freaks out on him, kicks him out. Um, the boys, meanwhile, are kind of talking about Will being trapped in the Upside Down, and they uh, realize that their compasses are actually not pointing north, they're pointing in a different direction. And they, they figure that if the gate has been opened with a lot of electromagnetic energy, that that would be disrupting their compasses, and they should follow their compasses to find the portal. So uh, they start following their compasses. Um, L, fearing for their safety, disrupts them and leads them in a different direction. Uh, Lucas gets really mad at her for doing that. Um, Mike defends L and gets in a fight with Lucas. Uh, L throws Lucas off of Mike with her brain and then uh, runs away because she's concerned about what she's just done. Um, Nancy and Jonathan decide that they're gonna head into the woods to like look for the, the creature. They find a wounded deer that has been hit by a car and it gets sucked away, like ripped away into this like tree. Uh, Nancy crawls through the tree as well, sees a monster and uh, the, the monster, the faceless monster 
and um, is trying to like back away from it and steps on a twig and alerts it. And that's where the, that, that episode ends. So Netflix doing a great job of ending on cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you binge them all. In <laughs> <laughs> so chapter six is called The Monster. Uh, it starts with Nancy still being in the, the like little, the, the upside down, I guess, trying to get out through the tree. Jonathan um, hears her calling and pulls her back out, saves her. Um, they go home. Steve is a great guy again and is sneaking mm-hmm. up into her bedroom, uh, looks in the window and sees Jonathan and Nancy together uh, and goes and is so angry and tells his friends. Uh, the next day, Jonathan and Nancy decide they're going to go buy a bunch of weapons to defeat the monster. Um, and they see graffiti written all around the town, um, saying, or on the, the big um, movie billboard in town, saying Nancy is a slut, basically. Um, and Jonathan gets really upset with Steve for having done that. They run into him in, in an alley and have it out. Uh, Jonathan gets arrested. Steve takes off. Um, meanwhile, Joyce and Hopper go to find Terry Ives, which is, as Shannon mentioned, the woman who uh, sued the Hawkins lab for kidnapping her child. Um, when they get to her house, they find out that she has been kind of um, catatonic for the last like five years, but her sister explains she'd miscarried in, in their third trimester, but she, in, she, didn't, she didn't believe that. She thought that she had had her baby and that it had been taken from her by these people who were part of this test that she was doing. She was subjected to experiments and stuff. Um, Hopper and Joyce kind of piece together that this might be Eleven. This might be the, the other kid that, like, they come to this realization that, oh, there is another kid who is running around that they've been thinking is Will and is not actually Will, it's Eleven. So, and they start to realize that maybe the, the kid's bedroom that he found, that Hopper found when he was in the lab, is actually um, this other kid's, this kid who was, you know, taken as, as an infant. Um, meanwhile, Eleven is on her own and, like, stealing Eggo waffles. <laughs> uh, she gets into a little bit of trouble. She also has keeps having these flashbacks and remembers that she was put into this um, sensory deprivation tank and told to basically open the gateway that, that let this Demogorgon, you know, the gateway to the Upside Down that let the Demogorgon out into the world. Um, meanwhile, uh, Mike and Lucas try to make up, but they... they just still are not seeing eye to eye. So Dustin and Mike decide they're going to keep looking for Elle while Lucas decides he's going to head out to find the gateway and Will. Um, While the boys are out looking for Elle, they run into bullies who urge Mike to jump off a cliff. He does, but then Eleven shows up and saves him. Um, She says, like, I opened the gate. I'm the monster. And Will's like, or Mike's like, you're not the monster. You saved me. Uh, It's very touching and and crying. (laughs) Um, and meanwhile, Lucas, uh, who is set out on his own towards Hawkins' lab, um, sees a whole bunch of trucks like heading out and thinks that they're headed toward uh, his friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So that gets us into the last two episodes here. So um, we come back to Mike and um, Eleven, and I, sorry, is it the beginning of episode seven or end of episode six where they get attacked by those bullies? I thought it was the end of six okay cool so (laughs) so dustin and mike are out um trying to find 11 and they run into some bullies and one of them tells him to jump off this cliff bonnie and we've already like hopper's already mentioned at this point like oh yeah that that follows suicide nobody can survive that so basically this kid is telling mike to kill himself or he's gonna like hurt dustin Mm -hmm. so mike's about to do it and l comes out of nowhere and saves him and like breaks the kid's arm. So 
Mike and Eleven and Dustin are heading back to Mike's house, and they get there and uh, they they get a radio call from um, Lucas saying, "Oh, the bad men are coming, and you have to get out of there." And they look out the window and they see all these like power company trucks, and they're like, "Uh oh, that's bad news." Mm-hmm. So they hightail it on their bikes, and uh, so the bad men are chasing them. They've got Eleven. They meet up with Lucas. Um, they're getting cornered, and Eleven actually flips this big old van, and it's super cool. And then they, so they manage to get away. They're hiding. Um, they go to this old junkyard, and they stash their bikes under a bus, and they hide inside the bus. Um, but the, so the bad men then go talk to Mike's mom and dad and try to convince them that, oh, your son's in big trouble, and we're trying to help him, and we're the good guys because we're the government. And um, so they they mentioned that he sometimes goes goes to his junkyards. There are helicopters circling around, and there are bad men coming. Well, Hopper, in the meantime, so he's tracking down um, Eleven, and um, he so he goes back to the police station. He's talking to Jonathan and Nancy, who are still there, um, and they, he figures out that they have some knowledge about what's going on about the Demogorgon. Jonathan, who beat uh-huh. the crap out of Steve, by yes, the way. Yes, <laughs> yes. Steve got his butt handed to <laughs> um, And then while he's also there, the bully who Eleven broke his arm because he was trying to kill Mike, um, he comes in with his mom and she's mm-hmm. like, something needs to be done about this girl. And um, Hopper's like, well, what girl is this? And he describes her and he realizes it's Eleven. So um, he manages to... So he's talking to Jonathan and Jonathan mentions this junkyard place because it's a place where Will and his friends like to hang out sometimes so they go there they manage to find the kids they get them away from the bad men and um, they go back to Joyce's house Will's house and um, they're all they all kind of share information and they figure out what's going on and so they um, they realize that Eleven can communicate with Will and they at this point Will has been hiding out around the house but now they don't know where he is or what's happened to him if he's even still alive so they're trying to get Eleven to communicate with him but she's really weak and she mentions that she has to have a bath which is the um, sensory deprivation tank so they call their science teacher and ask him for instructions on how to make a sensory deprivation tank with um, date. Yeah. <laughs> Watching <laughs> like, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I love this guy, Mr. Clark. He's science the teacher. Best. Can I tell you? He tweeted at me. <gasps> I, I'm sorry. This is like derailing things. No, it's but fine. I, watching it, had that reaction. And I was like, why? I tweeted, why isn't the science teacher from Stranger Things in every piece of media? I like didn't even know the, the actor's handle or anything. Mm-hmm. And then like a week later, I got a thing and he's like, Thanks, that would be exhausting. That's so cute. <laughs> That's oh, so He's wonderful in real life, too. Yeah. Mustache. Oh, oh, my gosh. Cool. Anyway, but yeah, this guy's amazing. These, these kids just call him at like 10 o'clock on a, like when he's on a date and like, ask for... Do you for really him. want to prevent us from learning more knowledge? <laughs> yeah. And he gives them like detailed instructions on how to make a sensory deprivation tank. It's so great. Anyway, so they're like... Okay, well, we're going to need this kiddie pool, and we're going to need lots of water, obviously, and then, and it needs to be the right temperature, and they need tons of salt, like enough to make her float. So they're like, where are we going to get that much salt? So they decide to go to Hawkins Middle School. School cafeteria. Their yeah. school cafeteria. Because <laughs> um, they have tons of, like, de-icing salt. So they go, and they start setting it up, and Hopper and Joyce are there. Um, Joyce is trying to comfort Eleven, and I love it because she's trying to, like, be the mom for Eleven, which she's never had before. 
Um, and while they're there, so Mike is talking to Eleven and asks her if, he, if she wants to go with him to the snowball at school, like after all this is over. And I, at that point, I was like, oh, this is not ending well for Eleven because <laughs> once people start getting attachments on these things. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Um, so they manage to put together the sensory deprivation tank. Eleven gets into it. Um, and she start so she starts kind of reaching out and trying to find both Barb and Will. So she finds Barb first, and Barb is dead. She's got all these slimy things like coming out of her mouth. It's super gross, and she starts like crying and freaking out. And so they kind of comfort her, and then she manages to find Will in like this little fort that he's built in the woods called Fort Byers. So she mentions this, um, and they know where to look now. Um, and in her dream, so also the upside down is like toxic. Um, they, they like people can't survive in there, and so Will is obviously like sick, and he's like barely hanging on at this point. So Eleven manages; she resurfaces, and um, so Hopper and Joyce decide they're going to go off and get Will, and they are going to go to the lab because they have figured out from the boys that, that is where the portal is, and Hopper knows that what he saw before is the portal. So they're like, we're going to go. And um, in the meantime, so they tell Nancy and Jonathan and the boys and Eleven to stay at the school. Um, so they go to Hawkins' lab. They get caught fairly quickly. Um, and in order to save Will, Hopper makes a deal where he tells the bad men where Eleven is and says, you can have your science experiment back. Just let me and Joyce go in after Will. So they agree. So they go in to the upside down wearing like hazmat suits. Um, in the meantime, the bad men go off and are coming after Eleven. Um, so we'll follow Eleven first. So the bad men go to the school. They're trying to get Eleven. Um, Dustin is like, he finds a stash of chocolate pudding, which is like something that gets referenced. Anyway, um, so they uh, they go and they find Eleven. Eleven um, kills a whole bunch of people, like scrambles their brains and makes them bleed through their eyes. It's pretty gross. Um, so she kills a whole bunch of the bad men, and um, then out of nowhere, the Demogorgon shows up. And he, the Demogorgon starts killing people, including um, the main guy, played by Matthew Modine. Um, yeah, that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just call him Matthew Modine. <laughs> um, yes, so he gets killed. Um, the boys in Eleven are trying to escape, and the Demogorgon's coming after them, and Eleven basically um, uses her mind powers to send the Demogorgon back to the Upside Down. But in the process, she disappears, and we're not sure if she's dead or if she's just gone or what exactly happened, but she's gone, and Mike is understandably upset. Um, in the meantime, so Jonathan and Nancy are not there because they want to finish what they've started. They want to lure the Demogorgon and kill it. So they go back to um, the buyer's house and they lay all these traps and um, they have like a bat with nails in it and they have their gun and they're gonna like, they're gonna get the Demogorgon caught in a bear trap and set it on fire. Steve comes in and he is really confused like about what's going on. He's trying to apologize to Nancy as well by this point because he's realized he's been a major jerk. Um, and the Demogorgon shows up and Steve is understandably freaked out, does not know what's going on. Um, they, the Demogorgon disappears, but they didn't get it. Um, but they know he's coming back. So Steve goes to leave and then decides, you know what, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to help. Um, 
they manage to catch the Demogorgon in the bear trap and set it on fire and it's like dying and disappears. Um, so th and they think that they've killed it. So um, then in the, in the upside down, so Hopper and Joyce go through the portal. They're, they go to the buyer's house in the upside down and they see like blood kind of marks from the Demogorgon and they realize that it's been hurt and um, so they start following the tracks and uh, they follow the tracks to what is essentially the town library version of the, it's the upside down version of the town library. Mm -hmm. And they go inside and they see Barb and there's all this like, I don't know, even know how to describe mm -hmm. it. It's all of this gunk and Barb is in it and there's stuff coming out of her mouth and it's all kind of like toad spawny and yeah. sluggish. <laughs> and um, so they're going around and they're, they see other people in there and um, they find Will and he's got this like, like a tube of alien stuff going down his throat. Very reminiscent of aliens. It is very reminiscent <laughs> of aliens. So they, they pull him out and they pull this thin, like very long thing out of his body and he's not breathing and he seems dead. Hopper manages to resuscitate him and he's alive and it's, I was like thrilled at this point because as we have discussed, I have real trouble <laughs> with kids um, in horror. Anyway, so Will is okay-ish, and they so they bring him back. Um, they get him to the hospital. Um, the bad men are gone, and um, so Will kind of revives in the hospital, and he like sees all of his friends and etc. Um, as that scene is resolving, Hopper goes outside, and a car shows up, and a guy in a suit opens the door for him, and he gets in and drives off, and yeah. Um, and then we cut to a few months later. It's Christmas time. Um, Nancy and Jonathan comes over to the to Mike's house, their house, um, and Nancy gives him a gift. She replaced his camera, which Steve had broken earlier. Um, and we see her with Steve, so they are still together. Um, Jonathan goes back home. <laughs> um, Will is there. He. Um, he and his friends are playing Dungeons and Dragons again. Everything seems back to normal. They um, defeat the Demogorgon. Yep, they defeat the defeat Demogorgon. The <laughs> yep. um, they, so Will goes home. We see him and Joyce and Jonathan having like a Christmas dinner. And um, Jonathan goes to, or sorry, Will goes to wash his hands in the bathroom and he spits up more of that yucky frog spawny stuff from the upside down. And as he does that, um, his vision kind of flashes and he sees his house in the upside down again and then it goes away and so we kind of get this hint that not everything is back to normal um, we also oh sorry we also see Hopper at a Christmas party he like gathers up a bunch of food including some like saran wrapped um, Eggo waffles because yeah. that's Eleven's favorite and um, he takes them out to a little box in the woods and leaves them there and so we know that Eleven is still alive in some capacity so, thank goodness. That's it. <laughs> but oh, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's talk about like '80s references in the show slash '80s things that. Um, oh, you know what? Before we do that, we should probably talk about like things from the show that are referenced a lot. Do you think? I yeah yeah cool yes sweet. <laughs> 
Um, so one that I'm thinking of <laughs> off the top of my head is the, the Christmas lights with the letters. Yeah. Um, I actually yeah. saw a Christmas sweater of that. That's and so I, cute. I really want it. Um, yeah. People love Barb. Yes. Like, yeah. People are very yes. into yes. Barb. And I know that a lot of people want her to be alive, although it's been confirmed. Like, she's definitely she's dead. She's definitely <laughs> dead, yeah. But um, yeah. I think people are bothered by the fact that in – so in the, the reality, it's like they kind of – people are satisfied with this explanation that she ran away. Yeah. And Nancy is like, no, she wouldn't have run away. Like, clearly not. And it's never resolved. Like, no – her parents never get any closure. It's just kind of – to everybody else, she just ran away, and that's it. So there are a lot of people who are like, justice for Barb! But I feel like another big thing, this is like large, not like a, a small individual thing that's, that gets referenced, but like it's the aesthetic and all of it. Like yes. that's why the new It, I, my personal <laughs> belief is that that's why the new um, It film looks the way it is, was aged up 20 years or 30 years or whatever, because yeah. the original one, the kids were set in the 50s, and now they're in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the resurgence of like synth John Carpenter scores and it is nostalgic. yes, mm -hmm. like like not not like an '80s look itself, but a 2017 version of '80s nostalgia filtered through that is like coming into mm -hmm. other films. Like mm -hmm. I feel like that is a huge thing that was brought about because of Stranger Things. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I was so. I got that vibe the first time I watched it, but then rewatching it just last week, I was like, okay, it's all of these tiny little details. Like, they have these old, like, cassette player drawers that, yeah. like, are faux wood with black trim, and I was like, I literally grew up with this. <laughs> like, I, like, those exact ones. And it's just all of these tiny little details in the sets and the clothes and, I mean, everything. Oh, yeah. It's great. The Evil Dead poster on yeah. Jonathan's wall that Lonnie says that's inappropriate. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. The um, title too. So um, I have down here. It's based on the work of Richard Greenberg, but yeah. also there's a Stephen King novel called Needful Things, which mm -hmm. is I guess where like the title of the show comes from. But if you look at that book cover, it really matches the lettering yeah. for yeah. Stranger the Things and stuff. But, Oh, yeah. yeah, I think people have used that font quite a bit. I've seen. Oh, it's yeah, been so. memed so much. Yeah. Like, there was a while where it was like your name in like yep. things font. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, other things get referenced a lot. Eleven's look, the blonde wig with the pink dress and Mike's blue windbreaker. Oh, the costumes that could come out of it. Oh, the costumes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, what else? Her love for egos. And Ego's has now done ads that are, like, mm -hmm. great in any dimension. <laughs> so it doesn't explicitly say Stranger Things 2, like, mm -hmm. watch on October 27th, but yeah. it's essentially an ad for Stranger Things. Yeah. Also, so. can we just talk really quickly about how great the marketing for Stranger Things has been? Because they've done all of these posters for the show that mimic old 80s, like, classic 80s yeah. movies. Um, <laughs> so and funny. they're, like, so spot on. And then they, they – so – the guy who plays Steve, Joe Neary, he also did a Pizza Hut commercial that was like 80s nostalgia. <laughs> like, oh, it's so great. Um, but yeah, like the way that they've they've marketed the show and incorporated 80s nostalgia into their marketing is just uh, brilliant. And Love it. the first trailer of it had Thriller in the background. Yeah, which oh, it was so I was gonna say this thing, yeah. in a later episode, but like I loved Thriller. Yeah, <laughs> and so. Like, it just gives me chills. Yeah. <laughs> like, Richard, or Vincent yeah. Price's voice. Like, yeah. this whole thing. 
Oh, and oh, it's so good. And in Stranger Two, sorry, Stranger Things season two, um, we we're not really sure, obviously, because we're recording this on the twenty first. Stranger Things comes out next Friday, the twenty seventh. So we have not seen season two. But in all of the marketing, all of the kids are wearing Ghostbusters costumes. Yes. And uh, for for me and my family, like my husband loves Ghostbusters. It was literally his first word growing up. Go Bubba. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's so <laughs> Ghostbusters is like a big thing for us. And so that plus the thriller in the first trailer, it was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, cool. Any other references you guys can think of? No. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, references within the show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, Can I actually read a thing? Yes. From, so the Duffer Brothers made Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found they did like a blog with Entertainment Weekly about each episode. But um, this is kind of their inspiration, and I liked the way they put it. Um, so they said, we grew up particularly obsessed with the movies of Steven Spielberg and John Carpenter, as well as the novels of Stephen King. Although their stories have a wide range of tones, we think they share something essential in common. They all explore that magical point where the ordinary meets the extraordinary. We were pretty ordinary kids growing up in North Carolina, and when we watched these films and read these books, it made us feel uh, like our rather normal lives had the potential for adventure. And maybe tomorrow we would find a treasure map in the attic, or one of us would vanish into the television screen, or maybe there was a clown in that sewer gate down the street. That feeling was powerful and inspiring. There was nothing better. Um, so I just their self-awareness, mm-hmm. like they knew they wanted it to be inspired by all of these things, and so it's so cleverly worked in throughout. Yeah. So good. One of the things that I feel like it does the best um, is catering to so many different uh, age groups of mm-hmm. the nostalgia. So, um, in reading interviews with them, I think one of the things that when they originally pitched the show, they were kind of met with a little bit of resistance about having a show about kids, not for kids. Um, and I think that like they took that feedback because it very clearly is, um, you get the references to the, uh, like the ET, mm-hmm. like the, ki- the stories about kids from the eighties. Yeah. And with the teenagers, you get references like to Nightmare on Elm Street and like all of the like teenagers, like in the midst of this terror that's going on, they're still partying and having sex and stuff. And like <laughs> then the adult, like the more adult ones of Alien and like like all of these nostalgias that they're drawing on, they there are different age groups that they cater to. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so cool and smart. Like the way yeah. that they can draw on all of them and create something completely new that applies to people of all ages is like the coolest thing. Yeah, it really is. Um, and our podcast up until this point has been basically like, let us prepare you for the references in Stranger Things. <laughs> yes. I feel like our, I was trying to think our like Spielberg one. So I mean, we've talked a lot about E.T. Mm-hmm. and the references there. Then you got Close Encounters, uh-huh. the lights kind of mimic what's happening yeah. with the Christmas lights in this yeah. show. Um, and Joyce feeling like she's the only one that knows what's happening and nobody's yeah. listening to her, but she's like, oh, there is a thing, there's a greater thing here. Yeah. And then all the Stephen Kings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Eleven is kind of Carrie, and also, I haven't seen Firestarter, but yeah. it's, it's like a combination about. of those two, like, yeah. little girl, amazing powers. Yeah. Um, the Upside Down is very reminiscent of Alien, as we've talked about. Yeah. Oh, all of the Alien stuff is very, like, 
I, they drew substantially on H.R. Geiger's work, like, to create the look of the alien. I mean, even the, like, petals pulling away, like, yeah. to reveal this, like, giant gaping mouth, like, that is a very, it looks like the eggs an alien that, like, open up to, like, release stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was one that I was thinking of, and I have lost it. I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, one of the best ones that like so I'm using we have talked about so many of them I'm actually going to use this to talk like oh, like to just get in mentions to horror movies that I don't think I'd ever convince y'all to watch um, so Nightmare on Elm Street one of the best right. so the, the thing that you were describing of the wall bending out yeah. that is a Freddy Krueger thing in the original Nightmare on Elm Street they actually made a wall over um, it's Tina's bed. That episode with... is called The Weirdo on Maple Street, uh-huh. so it's, it's definitely, so perfect. yeah, <laughs> definitely that reference. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, so I watched Stand By Me this week, which I hadn't uh-huh. seen before, right. um, and I also, I just read a little bit about, like, production on the show. Um, they auditioned, like, 900 boys for those roles and 300 girls for 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of it is they had them read scenes from Stand By Me um, <laughs> because they were like, this is the one film where, like, every child role actually was great and they did yeah. a good job. And, yeah, that movie, there's, like, them walking on the train tracks and they do them Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about the episode being The Body, which is what the short story was. I don't know, just the chemistry between all of them feels like stand by me yeah um also and this is kind of a side note um so the kid who plays dustin i love him (laughs) i love him he's so great he did so in the show dustin has this condition um and i cannot remember the name right now but it's basically a condition where like your bones don't grow normally so like in the show he gets bullied by these kids because he doesn't have front teeth and he has a lisp as a result and they make fun of him about still having his baby teeth, and he's like, my, my adult teeth are coming in. It just takes longer. And um, so he, in real life, has that condition, and they wrote it into the script because of him uh. and because um, they liked him so much. And I was like, oh, that is just adorable. And he's <laughs> talked about how he had a lot of trouble getting parts in, like, as a child because mm-hmm. of his lisp. And it's really a shame because he's such a good such a good actor. Cleidocranial mm-hmm. dysplasia? That's the yeah. one. I'm saying that right. Okay. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah. Anyway. She's awesome. Yeah, those kids are like perfectly cast. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a reference I like, which does not fit in with like the 80s stuff, um, but a reference to Blow Up, which is a 60s movie. Have you guys seen this? No. I saw it um, <laughs> not all that long ago, but um, it's this film about... Well, so it kind of mirrors the part where Jonathan is, like, taking pictures of the pool party. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in this movie, this guy, it's about this photographer that um, is kind of around a park taking pictures. And later on in the film, he realizes that he's photographed a murder and he didn't realize it. But it's all in the pictures. Yeah. And so, yeah, Jonathan, like, having the pictures of Barb is, yeah, kind of a tie into that, which is cool. Interesting. Yeah. Um... You guys, so many. I, I, I know that I have one that I was specifically thinking about, and I just, I'm drawing a complete blank right now. I apologize. Um, yeah. Well, um, so Tana has also done a little bit of research into other things that have influenced Stranger Things besides just 80s. Yeah. So this, 
most of it comes actually from this one article that I'm going to like plug the heck out of. It's in the New Yorker. It's called The Old American Horror Behind Stranger Things by Joshua Rothman. Um, and his argument, he totally mentions like all of the 80s things in the introduction. Like there's so many like 1980s suburbia and like even like a breakfast clubby vibe, like those kinds of things. I when I first saw Barb, thought she looked a lot like Molly Ringwald personally. But he talks about how actually a lot of what Stranger Things draws on and what a lot of like those 80s suburbia horror movies were drawing on is, is a Lovecraftian kind of like um, meeting, kind of like the quote that you, that you read to us earlier, Shannon, of the natural and the unnatural of this kind of like um, science and occult that exists like around our reality. Uh, he references specifically this one story called "The Color of uh, the Color from the Color Out of Space," and basically it's about this meteor that comes like that falls onto a farm, and there's a there's like a life form buried in it, and uh, it gets into the soil, and the plants start growing in all these weird colors that that nobody's ever seen before. Um, and the animals start like who are eating the plants start kind of moving unnaturally and the the life form that was in the meteor like takes a shape and stalks the farmer and his family turning them into like I guess similar to um, the most recent remake of uh, War of the Worlds like vaporizing them turning them into ash um, and at the end the narrator concludes like it was nothing of the earth but just a piece of the great outside uh, and I want to read this little like excerpt from it, um, like the almost conclusion of this article. Uh, Many of the beloved 80s movies behind Stranger Things are essentially Lovecraft in suburbia. They take lurid paranoid fantasies inspired by America's Puritan, colonial, and racist past and soften them, letting them unfold in a more innocent context. In Stranger Things, all American families discover that they're living on the edge of a terrifying wilderness. They learn that in the woods nearby, a tribe of scientists, led by Matthew Modine, has been seduced by occultism and is enacting rituals destined to unearth a horrifying monster. In this case, a slumbering lizard man with a squid head, like Cthulhu. Um, the monster poses a challenge to their, quote, confidence in the integrity of nature and of the human mind, end quote. Moreover, simply by being close to it, they risk contamination. At the end of the first season of Stranger Things, spoiler alert, seeds of the monster lay dormant, ready to grow again. And I just like that's where we're going. I know. <laughs> I'm like so excited that like I think that that's like it, I mean this to me it feels like it speaks to um, the episodes mm -hmm. that we just recently did with Sleepy Hollow. This kind of like quiet Puritan like there is a wildness in the world that we don't understand, mm -hmm. and there are people tapping into it, and you feel so small against it, and I, yeah. it's beautiful and yeah. terrifying. And I've thought a little bit about this because the story itself, there's nothing about the actual story of you know, this otherworldly dimension opening up that necessitates the show being set in the 80s. So I've wondered to myself, why is it set in the 80s, right? I think it has a lot to do with the influence of Stephen King and Spielberg and all mm -hmm. those guys on the Duffer Brothers. But I also think that people today, adults today, um, a lot of us lived or grew up in the 80s and are nostalgic about it. And so, like you said, it has this, like, to us at least, it's like this pure you know, magical time, and yeah. to set this horror, you know, like, this, yeah, sorry, this <laughs> horror thing, like, back in this time period yeah. that we all remember so fondly, it, it definitely heightens that, uh, that puritanical kind of yeah. vibe, so, anyway. <laughs> um, and if you're curious what these people think of, like, 
them drawing all this inspiration. Stephen King had a tweet that said <laughs> uh, this time last year, watching Stranger Things is like watching Steve King's greatest hits. I mean that in a good way. Um, and Stephen King is like big pop culture junkie, so mm-hmm. I can only imagine sitting there like, oh, that's that was mine. That was, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um, watch it or don't watch it. I feel like this is a, a no-brainer. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Definitely watch it. Do you um, guys have, like, predictions or d- wants for this season? Uh, you know what? I'm trying to go into it just, like, open-minded and blank-slated because if I if I start deciding that this is that there are certain things that I want, I know I'll probably wind up being disappointed, and I just want to... I just want to enjoy it. So, yeah. How about you, Taylor? I'm ready for way darker, way more horror. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want it. I want like I want to be kept up at night. Like I want to be kept up at night. The Stephen King stories keep me up at night. Okay. See, maybe this this is the difference between us, Taylor. <laughs> You're like the first no season. I was like the first season. I was like, this is just the right amount of horror. Because it did keep me up at night. So okay. So funny story. I know that we're trying to wrap this up, but I just have to tell this story. So when we started watching Stranger Things for the first time. Um, we were only able to watch a couple episodes at a time because our daughter was really young. We had limited amounts of time to watch TV. Um, so we were watching like two episodes a night. And we got to like episode three or four and we had to go to bed. And at that point we were unsure about what was happening with the lights. And I was like, it's the monster in the light. She thinks it's her son, but it's actually a monster. <laughs> every time the lights are flickering, the monster starts to come. And so we went to bed and we had replaced the the light bulb in our closet with this like this newfangled LED light uh-huh. bulb and it wasn't quite compatible and so it would flicker. Oh no. And so we turned on the light, we're getting ready for bed and it just starts flickering and I'm just like, ah <laughs> Yeah, so I couldn't sleep. <laughs> but anyway, so but yeah, so the, for more me, of that for, me. <laughs> for me I'm like, I don't know if I can handle more horror, but I'll I'll definitely still watch it. So Anyway. I want Nancy and Jonathan together to, to <laughs> take you. this in a totally different direction. Yes. Yeah. I was team John. Well, I was okay. I like Jonathan a lot. Like, bless his soul. He's such a little weirdo, and I wanted Nancy and him together. I would also be okay if Nancy went with neither of them because they're both That's kind true. of creeps. Yes. Yeah. But Jonathan is far less of a creep and didn't yeah. have to do like he was immediately like I will re- like I will fix this and like support you. And like you. he just trusted them. Yes. Instead of mm-hmm. Steve, who like writes about Nancy being a slut on the theater. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He was um, so mean. My thing with Steve is he does kind of redeem himself at the end. Kind of. Kind but of. not enough. I, I feel like if if he keeps going on like the path that he started at the end of season one and he's still like a legit good guy in season two and doesn't like go back to his old douchebaggy ways then I'm fine with yeah. them being together. It looks like they're not going to be together. I know. Right? <laughs> From the trailer, also, which is why I'm excited. This is, like, we've learned this, like, in in all of the 80s movies, so the, the six, like, not 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink. Ducky! Like, she she should have been with Ducky, yes. Like, she should have gone Just with Ducky in some kind of wonderful, like, he should go with his good friend. Like, that is the right answer to it. Like, the person who's been there. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> go watch the show, guys. We look um, forward to hearing your thoughts on it. <laughs> All right, join us next week as we wrap up our lead up to Halloween with our Fright Night Zombie episode. Zombies. Shannon is so excited. Um, so yeah, join us then. 
Um, also, just a note here, we are on iTunes now, so if you are streaming via our website, you can download from iTunes. Um, please leave us a review slash comments, ratings, all that jazz. We're happy to get your feedback. <laughs> um, also, we are on Facebook at Pop Culture Footnotes. We are also on Twitter, PC Footnotes. Um, and if you have recommendations or suggestions for things you want to hear about on the show, please feel free to email us, popculturefootnotes at gmail.com. So yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.